0: Let's take our Bibles and open them to the book of Psalms, particularly Psalm 136. Psalm 136, let's find it in our, in our Bibles. We're going to do something a little out of the ordinary for us this morning, and uh, I hope that you, that you understand. Psalm one hundred and thirty-six. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet all over the the sanctuary. Psalm one hundred and thirty-six. There is a fair amount of uncertainty as to who wrote this psalm. You'll notice that there lies no superscription below the psalm number. We don't know if it was a psalm of David or Solomon or Hezekiah. Some have given it a a later date because of some of the things that are mentioned and contained in this psalm, and many commentators will attribute it to Hezekiah for Hezekiah experienced much fear and trepidation and was delivered by the mercy of God. And although we don't know some of the particulars about how it came to be penned and splashed onto the pages of our Bible, what we do know is this, that it is a psalm which combines both thanksgiving and mercy. We also know this, that historically speaking, this psalm was sung. It was a song of God's people as they would rejoice and praise and render their thanksgiving to their God. And it was sang in a responsive way. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to have April come and play the piano and attempt to lead in a responsive singing of this psalm. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Although, that wasn't bad, right? (laughs) But what I would like to do is this, and I know that this is out of the ordinary for us, but it was done responsively. The one that was leading the song or the worship would, would sing the first phrase and then the congregation would resound with the phrase, for his mercy endureth forever. And that's what we're going to do this morning. I'll read the first phrase and then, church, you will read the following phrase. And we are going to read through this entire psalm. And 26 times you are going to respond, For his mercy endureth forever. Don't turn it into vain repetition by the time you reach 26. But let's let every word have its impact. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods. For His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks to the Lord of lords. For His mercy endureth forever. To Him who alone doeth great wonders. For His mercy endureth forever. To Him that by wisdom made the heavens... For His mercy and forever. To Him that stretcheth out the earth above the waters. For His mercy and forever. To Him that made great lights. For His mercy and forever. The sun to rule by day for His... Oops, oh, sorry. For his mercy I got so excited. <laughs> Verse 9. The moon and the stars to rule by night. For His mercy to him that smote Egypt in their firstborn For his mercy, forever. and brought out of Israel from among them For his mercy, forever. with a strong hand and with a stretched out arm For his mercy, forever. to him which divided the Red Sea into parts For his mercy, forever. and made Israel to pass through the midst of it, For his mercy, it forever. but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. For his mercy, to him which led his people through the wilderness. For his mercy, to him which smote great kings. For his mercy, and slew famous kings. For his mercy, Sihon, king of the Amorites. For his mercy, and Og, the king of Bashan. And gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy in even an heritage unto Israel his servant, for his mercy who remembered us in our low estate, for his mercy and hath redeemed us from our enemies, for his mercy forever. who giveth food to all flesh, O give thanks unto the God of heaven for his mercy endureth forever. Father, we thank you for your mercy and how there is no end of it. And Father, as our hearts turn towards great thanksgiving towards you, may we never forget the greatness of your power and the presence of your mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you you may be seated. You may or may have not noticed that his mercy endureth forever. This psalm is divided into 3 sections. They are not even sections. The first section is really just comprised of the first three verses, which begin with this exclamative word, which in our Bibles is just used one letter, the word O oh, in verse number one, O Oh. Give thanks, verse number two, oh, give thanks, verse number three, oh, give thanks. And the first section of this psalm then comes to a conclusion, and that first section is the call to thanksgiving. The next section, which comprises, I believe, the next 22 verses, goes beyond the call to thanksgiving, and the reader and the worshiper is is asked to enter into not just the call to thanksgiving, but to examine the cause of thanksgiving. And that's why we see the next number of verses begin this way, to him. In other words, we give thanks to him. Verse number 5, to him. Verse number 6, to him. Verse number 7, to him. Then it begins to describe the work that he has done. The sun had to rule by day for his mercy endureth forever. And the moon and the stars to rule by night. Then we see a call to worship to him. And then as we look to the very last verse in Psalm 136, we see a return. Having observed the call to thanksgiving, the cause of thanksgiving, then it is brought to pass the conclusion of thanksgiving. In verse number 26. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven for His mercy endureth forever. As we look and celebrate this thanksgiving holiday, we ought to do so out of a genuine love and admiration for the Lord. But it is the psalmist's desire here not just to give thanks generally, but to to express our gratitude to the Lord specifically. And he gives a number of things to be grateful for, specifically, who doeth great wonders, who by wisdom made heaven and stretched out the earth and the waters, who made great lights, uh, who caused the sun and the moon to rule by day and tonight, who smote the Egyptians and brought Israel out from among them. And he begins to name numerous things that the Lord has done. But in the first three verses, it's not about what the Lord has done, but instead, it's about worshiping and giving thanks for who the Lord is. And I would like to preach this morning a message entitled, Grateful for His Greatness. That should be the beginning of every word of praise, worship, or thanksgiving to God. It should center around the greatness of our God. For to remove his actions from his very nature would be to divorce the power that is used in order to bring to pass every good gift and every perfect gift that has now been made manifest and is present in our lives. Oh, we ought to be grateful to God. And be reminded that in our gratitude towards Him, that it is His supreme greatness, His sovereignty, His authority, His uh, nature, par excellence, which is above all things that we could attempt to compare Him to. For even though we compare Him to a shepherd, He is greater than any shepherd. Even though we compare Him to the light, He is brighter than any light. We may compare Him to the door, but He is the greatest door For our God is great. And it is the magnitude of that greatness and of that majesty which should turn our hearts to praise Him and to express our gratitude for Him. And I would like to make an examination of these first three verses especially as we give thanks for the greatness of God. As I read the opening verse of this psalm, I read, i give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. And I would like to give thanks for the greatness, first off, of His delight. Our God is good, is a part of His nature. He cannot do um, anything outside of His goodness. For the moment that He were to act in a manner that is not good, He would cease to become good, even if for that moment. Therefore, it is an impossibility, an absolute um, impossibility that God would ever become something other than good, and that is a stirring of his own delight. To say that God is good, however, is insufficient for us this morning, because our life is full of good things that we have learned to take for granted. I take for granted the goodness of my family. And I cherish them and I I hold them close. But every single morning as we're trying to get the girls ready for school and sometimes get myself ready to take them to school, in the busyness of that, and as we're loading up the the truck on a frosted morning to to drive all the way over to Powell and through the traffic, I'll be honest, many times I I, I go out that door and it is a rarity that that I get into the truck and think, oh Lord, thank you so much for my family. It's because I'm consumed with the busyness of everything else. And so it is with the goodness of God that we can examine all of the other attributes and the the nature of our God and, and all the things that he has done for us. But let's be reminded this morning that he is good. It is not just something that he does, but it is something that he is. And we ought to cherish and hold that in high regard. We ought not take it for granted because even if our God was not good, he would still be sovereign. He would still be Lord. We would be still at that point at the mercy of his actions. And if our God was not good, could you imagine living under the rain, the the terrible rain of that Lord? You see, the the Bible uh, is so expressive in its original tongue. Here in the Hebrew language, that word Lord specifically is Jehovah. Jehovah means the the self-existent one, the eternally existent one. But as we examine the self-existent nature of God, let us be reminded this morning that God does not need us. In fact, he doesn't need anything. Our God does not need air. He does not need rest. He does not need food. He does not need companionship. Our God needs none of those things. He is completely self-sufficient. Many teenagers grow up and and they feel about the time they're they're 17, closing in on graduation from high school, that they are rather self-existent themselves. I mean, they could tie their shoes. (laughs) Some of them can drive. Usually not well, but they can drive. And they have such feelings of independence. I can remember that stage in my own life as I walked across those graduation proceedings and was ready to head out and, and join the army and, and do all the things that were soon to come in my future. And I was feeling about 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I, I felt that I was entirely self-sufficient and had totally forgotten that mommy and daddy were still paying my car insurance. Oh, but God truly is self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. He does not need any of us. And to me, that can at times strike terror in my mind when I realize that there is nothing because of that that I can offer God that is a necessity to to him. I cannot blackmail God or or make a, a deal with God. And We've seen so many times in our lives where we said, Lord, if you would just do this, then, then I will do that. And what makes us think that God would cross his arms and say, well, that's a pretty good deal that I would be able to get that from you. Church, he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us at all. He doesn't need our worship, for if we are silent, even the rocks will cry out. He doesn't need our money. He owns every bank in the world. He does not need anything from us. And this should be a terrifying thing to us. For if he does not need us, what keeps him from disposing of us altogether? The Apostle Paul knew of this, which is why he says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Lord, we persuade men. The writers of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And this is a terrifying thing for if that Lord God, the Jehovah God, the self-existent one, if he is not good, then we have no hope. Oh, but his desire is saturated with goodness. His desire is towards his people. He delights in caring. He delights in forgiving. He rejoices in mercy towards his own people. The prophet Zephaniah in chapter number 3, verse 17 said, that the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save listen to this he will rejoice over thee with joy he will rest in his love he will joy over thee with singing the psalmist says he brought me forth also into a large place he delivered me why? because he delighted in me Oh, and I rejoice in the goodness of our Lord. And only because of his goodness can we read that next phrase. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. You realize that his mercy is propelled forward because of his goodness. And as we repeat that phrase... His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. Let's never forget that His mercy is motivated by His love, and His love is motivated by His goodness towards His people. His mercy is deep and vast. We should be grateful for the greatness of His delight. What I see next as we move from verse number one and enter into the front door of verse number two, we see that that same exclamation as we saw in verse number one. Oh, give thanks! I fear that we've lost our oh in gratitude. Oh, we give thanks passively and we give thanks systematically, but do we give thanks sincerely? Oh, give thanks! Because we should give thanks for the greatness of his delight, but we should also give thanks for the greatness of his deity. For in verse number 2 we read, Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. The God of gods. God has many things within his nature that are different from us. And one of the things is this, is that he is God and we are not. I find that the expression of His deity draws our attention to the eternal nature of our God... For he is not just the God of men, although he is that. He is not just the God of this creation, but he is the God of gods. That is not to say that there are other deities running about, but it is to set his supremacy in all of eternity. For the Bible says that he inhabits eternity. That without God there is no eternity, for he is the very substance of eternity. And this God, this God, if you are looking for the eternal God you find him here. If you look for the powerful God, you find him here. If you look for the one that can forgive sins, you find him here. And if you look for the one who can do all things, you find him here. For he is God of gods. And oh, how we should be grateful for this God. You see, this is him. You don't have to look any farther or wonder where the God of gods is. You can go down to the mosque and find many men and women sincere in their belief with foreheads kissing the earth towards Mecca, but you will not find God there. You will find those who make great sacrifice and pilgrimages to find themselves at a Buddhist temple high in the mountains of the Himalaya or deep into the valleys of India, but you will not find the God of gods there. But if you're here this morning and you're looking for God, be reminded that He is real. He is not some mystical being that cannot be found, but He is real and He is really here in our midst. And the psalmist declares that He is the God of gods. And if you are searching for the God of reality, then He is here. His Son is Jesus. His Spirit is the Holy Ghost. And He is the Father ever present and always with us. He is real. But not only is He real, but that same God of gods, He is revealed. He is made known. You can find Him. You can know Him. You can know His nature and His nature is good. You can ask if He has mercy and discover it endures forever because He is revealed in His Word. He's revealed in creation. You don't have to wonder if you can know Him because the answer is yes. He is revealed that God of gods he is real, that God of Gods, and he is a redeemer for his mercy endureth forever. We ought to have we ought to be grateful for his greatness, the greatness of his deity. We also should be grateful of the greatness of his dominion. as we go to the very next verse, verse number three, uh, let's look closely, oh give thanks unto not in this verse does it say the God of Gods, but instead another word is used entirely. Oh give thanks to the Lord of Lords, Adonaiam of Adonaiam, that is specifically the deity of his authority, his dominion, so to speak, his jurisdiction. There is nowhere outside the jurisdiction of our God. Many people, having committed crimes in the United States, have fled into other countries believing that if they would just find some place outside of the jurisdiction of the United States government, then they will be free. However, there's nowhere that we can go outside of the jurisdiction of God. There is nowhere that we can find ourselves outside of, of His authority I heard it said one time as uh, someone was complaining about the nature of God and the rules of God and the laws of God, that in response this great man said that uh, you don't have to like God's rules, but you do have to live under them. If you don't, then you can go create your own universe and live in it. But we live in the universe created and fashioned by the hand of God And because of him being the creator of it, he is also the authority of it. And you can sit there and declare that you do not like his laws, but you cannot ever excuse yourself from his laws. For this word, Lord of Lords, speaks to the reign of his dominion. And we are all under the jurisdiction of it. There is no escaping the jurisdiction of God. This should strike fear and terror in the lives of many because there is nowhere that we can run from His presence. There is nowhere that we can flee from Him for we are uh, exposed and open before the eyes of God. And one day we will stand before that God of gods. We will be present in front of the Lord of lords and He will know everything in our lives, every sin, every wicked thought, every sinful deed. And we will stand guilty before that Lord. Oh, and if you've never received forgiveness from Him, it should cause your knees to tremble. For it is a fearful thing, a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And His dominion is eternal. Yes, His dominion should cause fear, but His dominion should also cause peace. Because 26 times in every single verse of this psalm has we repeated that His mercy endureth forever. And His mercy endureth forever. And His mercy endureth forever. Help us lest we sit here without applying the reality to that relationship we can have with Him. For where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And when we find ourselves in a relationship strained by sin and distance from our God, let us be reminded that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the depth of your sin, the depth of your rebellion... The depth of your anger towards God is not deeper than the depths of His mercy for it endureth forever. There is a limit to your sin for there is a limit to your days. There is a limit to your sin for there is a limit to your strength. There is a limit to your sin for there is a limit to your abilities. Oh, but in terms of the strength and the ability and the capacity of God, there is no limit. Our God is infinite in the heavens and infinite by His nature. Means he's infinite in his mercy, and his mercy, what better way can we say that is endureth. It endures all of our sin, it endures all of our complacency, it endures all of our wickedness, it endures all of our unthankful, ungrateful nature, and instead it reaches deeper past endurance and reaches a place called forever. It reaches a place called forever. You know, I've never really considered forever as a destination because by nature it continues eternally one day after another, after another, after another. And I am, I am encouraged and my heart is moved with gratitude for in His dominion the law says by His word that His mercy is greater than anything in our lives. And it doesn't matter how wicked How heinous. How rebellious. Or how far we've ran from our God. His mercy endureth forever. Do you realize what that means? Is that there is nothing that can keep you from God but you. Your sin can't keep you from God so long as you turn in faith your past as difficult as it may have been it can only keep you from God if you let it for his mercies are new every morning and they endure forever And knowing that that as we examine this, this nature of God's mercy under the dominion of His authority, let us rejoice that that's the kind of God we serve. We should be grateful for the greatness of His delight, the greatness of His deity, and the greatness of His dominion. The first three verses introduce this psalm so well. O give thanks unto the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the God of gods for His mercy endureth forever. O give thanks unto the Lord of lords, His dominion, for His mercy endureth forever. And then I see a number of things that that He has done by the work of His dominion. And these are the things we often think about in our lives as we express our gratitude to Him who alone doeth great wonders. Has God not done great wonders in your life? But then when you get down through here, you notice some interesting statements. He says in verse number... Verse number, 12, verse number 11, I'm sorry, that he brought Israel out from among them. It tells us in verse number 15, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. It says in verse number 16, to him which led his people through the wilderness. It says in verse number 17, to him which smote great kings Verse number 18, and slew famous kings. Verse number 19 and 20, it names two specific kings in which he delivered Israel from, Sihon and, and Og. And, and then it says that, that he remembered, verse number 23, who remembered us in our low estate. In verse number 24, and hath redeemed us from our enemies. And as we come to verse number 26, we see this psalm almost like two bookends on all of these things that God has done to care for his people. And the last bookend, instead of three verses like the opening, is one verse, but it stands strong and independent and simply says, Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven. Of heaven. And I'm brought to this place in my heart where I'm also grateful for the greatness of His deliverance. This is the God of eternal life. This is the God of eternal deliverance. This is the God whom by His Son Jesus Christ paid the the price for all of our sin so that we could be forgiven and step into that glorious kingdom which is called heaven. This is the God of heaven. And as the God of heaven, it is that God who determines the the rules and the door for entry. And that door is salvation by grace through faith in the finished world work of the Lord Jesus Christ he is the one who has flung open the door and said that we can come in by Jesus Christ Jesus says I am the door he says I am the way the truth and the life and that no man cometh unto the father but by me and if you are in need of deliverance this morning deliverance from sin or deliverance from circumstance I want you to turn your gaze toward the God of heaven for he is able and his mercy endureth forever and if you would just look back into the past of your life you will probably see that unseen hand in every facet in every day in every step of your life and yes there may have been difficult times but here you sit this morning cared for by his mercy that has endured the ages and oh give thanks Unto the Lord, oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven for his mercy endureth forever.